Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cast Dice, the podcast that explores the great big wild world of tabletop gaming that exists today. It's been said once or twice, mainly on this podcast, that we are in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are just too many good games out there that we can spend our hobby time and our hobby dollars on. And it can lead to a serious case of not knowing what to play next. And I guess that's the purpose of this podcast. It's to talk to my guests about the games that both they and I enjoy playing, talk about big industry events, and to talk to the people who make these games. Now, we have been trying to dig back into listener requests for a little while now, and I've had a few people asking about certain games that may have been covered previously on the Warlord Games official podcast. Now, I've had a lot of people asking me recently, what happened with that? Well, with COVID and with Melbourne's lockdown and with everything else, um, everything sort of got a little funny for a little while as far as communication and timelines and everything else. Uh, But I'm happy to report that the Warlord Games official podcast will be coming back to this podcast network, hopefully in the next couple of weeks. Not hopefully, I am recording it hopefully in the week to come, if not the week after, and it will drop shortly after that. It's going to be a really great episode. I have some great guests lined up, and we have some cool things to talk about. Spoilers. Good stuff's coming. But one of the games that we've covered on that show is a game that has always sort of caught my eye, and I've looked at it in the distance, but I've never quite committed, but I've had quite a few requests to talk about Blood Red Skies. Now, you've heard me talking to the author Andy in the past on the Warlord Games official podcast, but I thought I would bring someone else from the community in to talk about a lot of the cool new things that are both happening in that game and the community itself, and maybe talk about what it's like to be sort of in a gaming community for a game that maybe isn't uh, as big as some of the other big boys, but, you know, doesn't mean that people don't love the game and aren't as passionate about it. Of course, we're talking about, uh, how should I say, one of the hosts of the only Blood Red Skies podcast. Of course, I'm talking the Lead Pursuit podcast, and if we're going to do that, we got to have Douglas on. Doug, man, welcome to the show. How you doing? Doing great. Thanks for having me on. Now, how long have you been into Blood Red Skies? Actually, not the whole time that it's been out. So I avoided Blood Red Skies early. I saw everything coming along. I thought, wow, that seems really cool. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm going to play my 700 other games that I have. And so I didn't buy in. I didn't Mm -hmm. pick up the starter set. Uh, and then at Adepticon in uh, 20, I have to back up here, uh, 2019, mm-hmm. uh, we were roaming around, me and uh, two other good friends that were uh, Heresy 30K players. Nice. And we said, we need to pick up something new. We, we just want something a little different. And it started down the, the road of, well, do we want to do historical? Do we want to do another mm-hmm. sci-fi game? Do we want to do fantasy? Uh, and discretionary income being what it is, we looked at the three of us and said, let's at least all buy into the same system. (laughs) Let's. (laughs) That is wiser than how I usually do it. But yes, that, 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 yeah, because there are too many good games, right? And there are, (laughs) it helps to have someone. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. You have this problem. No, you just have this problem that you walk around and there's too much to buy. But we also realized we absolutely loved the United States heresy community that they Mm. were awesome adepticon was so much fun they were people we could identify with we had fun with we enjoyed being around them both during the games and after the games and so rule number one kind of was not necessarily have the most fun game with the coolest miniatures but be part of a cool community uh what i will say is we auditioned both team yankee and flames of war and their communities failed Uh, (laughs) even though we love the miniatures uh, but uh, we then went over and looked at this game called Blood Red Skies. And I blame John Russell, uh, mm-hmm. the the warlord U.S. person who now has drugged so many people into the game of Blood Red Skies, mm-hmm. surely through his enjoyment, partially probably the free pizza he also <laughs> has been known to give out. Uh, but literally, that it was the group of people that were playing warlord games, specifically Blood Red Skies, that were so much fun to be around 
for a quick game that didn't take forever to play. Right. Uh, and that's really what took us in. I mean, so many things in what you just said I was nodding along with because there are a ton of great games that I have played a couple times and sadly have put back on the shelf because I maybe not have enjoyed the experience of playing it depending on the people who do play it. Now, I'm not saying that some of those games aren't wonderful games and that some of those people aren't wonderful people, but we may not uh, share the same philosophy of um, having what I would call sort of a relaxed, fun time on the tabletop. Now, there was a time when I played uh, maybe more aggressively or a little bit more intensely, but I think those days are in 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 my in my past and so sometimes it just really does come down to who am i going to see there and what game am i going to play and is it going to be a, a relaxing good time was that your experience there is that kind of what you were referring to or it was even beyond the relaxing good time because you know we had acquired a large number of of miniatures for dust 1947 mm. and we kind of auditioned that game and the crowd was boring and, oh. and I and I jokingly would I, I say that because there were some really cool people right. that were playing the game, but the way they played the game was almost cerebral is the best way I can describe yeah. it. And you know we all stood there and were like, apparently they're having fun, but are they collectively having fun? And mm -hmm. so, fast forward from that event to our first gathering of Eagles in Indianapolis, where we had all Blood Red Skies players there playing Blood Red Skies and other aviation kind of themed games. And it was, I don't want to call it a madhouse because it wasn't a large number of people, but it was obvious that everyone was having fun. We are talking crap back and forth between the tables, you know, mm -hmm. we're, we're having a good time, especially when you get into the heat of the tournament, then it was a lot of trash talking and it was <laughs> a lot of fun because people were super competitive, but the, the seriousness level went way down. And then of course it ended with everybody drinking beer at the end of the night, you know, telling lies and things like that. So that told me that I had found the right game by going to Blood Red Skies because it was a lot like the 30K heresy community that I'd spent the last couple of years uh, kind of rolling around in the U.S. in. Nice. Yeah, man, that sounds like my kind of party right there. Let's talk about the, the Blood Red Skies community sort of globally because what we've seen oftentimes with smaller games and more niche markets is that before you might have a couple of people playing in a garage uh, and that might be your entire local community. I mean, that's the way it was when we were younger. But now with Facebook, with Instagram, with, heaven forbid, Twitter, we have the ability to reach out and connect with fans of these games across the globe. And that can lead to you know a more global community. Is that what you're seeing with Blood Red Skies? Absolutely. And the funny thing is every country and every region does their gaming differently. And you mm -hmm. just have to understand that. And if you're an American gamer, it may be hard to appreciate how it works, but it works very differently in the UK. It also works very differently as you go to lower density areas where there's fewer Blood Red Skies players. I mean, we have a number of them that that play in Russia that are solo or you know infrequent players just simply because Blood Red Skies has not penetrated the market there. Mm. Uh, but it's kind of funny when you go other places uh like when uh, i'll travel to southeast asia and the players there really enjoy the game but they also they're in a sense in a gaming overload where they are either in singapore malaysia some of these other areas where mm -hmm. they're trying to figure out which weekend do i play blood red skies because i'm also playing bolt action and i was playing x-wing and yeah. now i'm playing you know uh, any of the other games that that are surprisingly popular in some of these areas. And so mm -hmm. it's it's kind of funny to see the difference in the dynamic in the U.S. where people might tend to compartmentalize down to one game for a while mm -hmm. versus other markets where they don't. And, and to be honest, Blood Red Skies falls great into that market because as a community game, it has a fairly low cost to get into. You don't need a huge army. I will say it's addicting in that once you go, oh, I'm just going to buy a six-plane force and go from there, mm -hmm. you end up buying a lot of little six-plane forces. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that horrible slippery slope. So while it may not cost as much as the 40K and 30K armies I'm staring at the display case over there and not playing, uh, you can find yourself saying, oh, it's just another box of airplanes. Oh, it's, it's easy. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it it's an interesting community. It's, it is very diverse, and it's also 
diverse in its narrative versus tournament play, I'll say as well. So there are some super narrative players. There's some super competitive players around the world that want tournaments. Um, and it's interesting to see how and if the two do mix. So let's get into that. So how, now for those who are, I, I should have said this at the beginning, Blood Reds Guys is, of course, Warlord Games is um, fighter dogfighting combat game. Uh, it is, now you'll have to help me out with the scale here um, because now I'm blanking. It's not 1 300. Well, so it's, it's 1 200. It's 1 200. Um, but I will say that you, that, they play fast and loose with the scale, at least in the initial releases. Now everything is falling really into the 1-200 uh, regime. But obviously, as you buy or contract models from other companies and things like that, sometimes not everything is perfectly scaled. Yeah. Now, when the game started, I know that it, it played a very certain way. But in recent years, there have been a few expansions to the game that have really sort of expanded the way that you can play the game and has changed the way that people look at it and interact when playing it rules-wise. Can you talk to it a, a little bit about that? Because I know that initially when I covered Blood Red Skies on the Warlord cast and what Blood Red Skies is now, rules-wise, it is a very different game really is. So the best way I try to describe it to people is when you think of the old starter set, that was all about fighters. Right. Bombers were just little cardboard chits. They were a means to an end. They were something to escort. Um, now the game that has really graduated to a level where all the bombers and other aircraft are fairly interactive in the game, the airstrike rulebook is the is the big compendium that kind of restated all the rules, cleaned up some of the wording, some of the diagrams, and and gave multi-engine bombers and multi-engine fighters more of a a bigger role in the game, more of a a detailed role rather than just kind of being a a a one-off. Um, that of course opens cans of worms with you know having ground targets and having flak that can shoot at you and can mm -hmm. accidentally shoot down its own guys, you know things like that. Um, it, but it also makes for a lot more options for narrative play. Uh, the the other piece is uh, the MIG Alley set was released and that mm -hmm. took it into the early jet era. Now of course that's a slippery slope because as soon as you ask for stuff about Korea, people ask for Vietnam, and people ask for modern, and, and all these other things. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's it's been an interesting dynamic inside the community to see what people want to do with the Blood Red Skies rules that Andy has written, that he has tried to carefully sculpt and, and craft to be consistent and to, to remain fun and not bog down in either grognard-level you know, rivet counting mm -hmm. or to not make things so super generalized that it doesn't feel like you're flying airplanes in the game. So right. it has evolved. It's, you know, I, I think where it is now um, is for, for me as a member of the community is not, not where I think it could, I don't think it's at its limit. I think it still has more things it could do mm -hmm. and we'll see what Andy does with that in the, in the coming year or so. Um, but I think there's also some kind of hard and fast limits based on how much fun you want to have. It goes back to the original purposes of, of us playing Blood Red Skies. We liked having a game that played in about an hour, maybe an hour and a half. Um, did we play four or five hour games? Yes, we did. We certainly played some mm -hmm. big games on a big map with lots of airplanes, but, but that's not the core of why we liked Blood Red Skies. Uh, it was to go play a quick game with your buddy, lose horribly, and then go drink beer. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, oh, you've seen me play games. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, I should have mentioned this earlier, and you've mentioned Andy's name several times there. Of course, we're talking about Andy Chambers of Old Games Workshop fame, who now is an indie game developer. He was contracted in by Warlord to write the original Blood Red Skies, and he's, of course, been interacting with the community quite a lot. Um, now, Andy said that you know he was an an avid fan of World War II aerial combat. Like He knows tons about the subject matter, and that has really come through in the way that the rules have evolved over time. But he really, in, in just touching back to the episode where we talked to him last, he wanted to create a game, as you say, that was short, fast, and fun, but also gave you the feeling that you were actually dogfighting on the tabletop in a World War II sense. And it, it isn't just another X-Wing. Um, there are a couple of games out there that look suspiciously, smell suspiciously, and, you know, do everything like X-Wing. 
this is not that game. This feels very different. And I think really does, as you say, sort of does a good job of being short, sharp, and fun, and at the same time feels a bit like World War II dogfighting. Would you agree with that assessment? Absolutely. So it's kind of interesting when you sit there and look at how different games, and I hate to use the term simulate, but I will use Mm. it, how they simulate aerial combat. And for years, going back to the 1970s when I was playing things like Air War and Mm -hmm. Foxbat and Phantom and some of these other horribly complex games staring at me from my shelf, Mm -hmm. uh, there was these these ideas of pre-plotting and and these very deterministic ways of of playing the game. And what I think Andy has done very well is that he doesn't make you pilot the airplane. He assumes your pilot knows what to do. They may be a rookie and may make mistakes, or they may be an ace and make fewer mistakes, but he assumes they generally know what to do. And that you don't have to track the altitude, the airspeed, the bank angle, and do all these things and figure out the exact maneuver. You just go... I'd like to go shoot that guy, and I'm willing to give up something to go shoot that guy. Mm -hmm. And that something is advantage. And by having the system where it's advantage that you're giving up and you're either advantaged, neutral, or disadvantaged, it makes it, it super compresses things and makes it very easy to relate to. And for someone who may or may not have an aviation background to walk in and go, okay, I can be really advantaged and I can give something up to dive across the board and shoot that other aircraft in the face. Uh, But at the same time, I'm now not as advantaged as I was. So it's, I, I think it captures it well. And, you know, coming from my background, having, you know, flown F-18s in the Marine Corps for 20 years, it really captures the tactical decisions that you have to make without having to choose, am I making an Immelman? Am I making a split S? Am I making a high yo-yo? Right. And if you don't know what those maneuvers are, then you shouldn't be playing some of the aerial combat games that are out there because they make you think to that level. Uh, and that's just not fun. Uh, it's it's much more fun to have something that's quick, that plays well, that that makes you think, what do I want to do? What's the tactical balance? How much advantage can I give up to take an opportunity to shoot uh, and and make those kind of decisions? Now, unlike a lot of those types of games that I've seen over the years, this is also a scenario-driven game. I know that Andy put a lot of time and thought into not just having a well, you put two fighters on your side, I'll put two fighters on my side, and we'll fight. Now, that is, you can do that, obviously. But there are scenarios for this game and that, that have been crafted so that you can get more out of the game than just, you know, toe-to-toe combat. Absolutely. Now, how does that factor into what you were talking about before with people who are maybe playing this competitively versus a more narrative focus in the game? What are we seeing in events? What are we seeing? Does it depend on region? What are we looking at there? I think first it does depend on region. Uh, I will say that the UK seems more open to a less balanced tournament setting, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, And part of it's also been the personalities that are driving things. There has not been a a single point of contact in the US standing up and saying, we're gonna do, we're gonna tell everyone how to play a Blood Red Skies tournament, uh, kind of until the Lead Suit podcast came along and everybody looked at me and goes, Don't you want to write a tournament pack? And I go, No, that sounds like somebody who knows what they're doing should do that. <laughs> <laughs> I know that. And then feeling. I wrote the tournament mm-hmm. pack. <laughs> so so it's one of those things where the the discussions we had with a lot of our counterparts in the UK and Europe were they liked playing different scenarios. They liked just free-forming and, and saying, okay, it'll be 500 points, but we'll you know, come up with some scenarios and, and we'll work it out amongst mates. Uh, we know the U.S. competitive scene doesn't work that way. Yeah. And so to prevent the throwing of airplanes and you know, mm-hmm. uh, movement templates across the room, uh, we chose to give it a lot of structure. And at least on the lead pursuit side, we said, hey, for this first year that we're going to do things competitively and really have a tournament pack and really set down some core ways of playing, we're going to only say you're going to play the, the number one dogfight scenario but we're going to give you some freedom in how you build your lists and, and, and we'll constrain some things and then open up some others. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we did something that a lot of people really uh, were kind of surprised. We went to Andy and said, Let, we'd like to take your master beta aircraft list and that's going to be good enough for a tournament. And there were a lot of people that did some, you know, kind of squirrely eyebrows over that. They said, you sure you don't want to make it warlord cards only? 
And I said, no, I, we don't. We we want to beta test all these airplanes in a competitive setting. And if they're broken, we'll find out pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? And, 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 and I think that was good for the community because then it allowed people to build a force they wanted in a game that didn't have a ton of models and a ton of forces that had come out. Because as you've talked to Andy about, there were some models that had come out in the starter. Mm -hmm. There were some some hard plastic models that came out that were gorgeous. Uh, there were some that came out in metal and resin. Mm -hmm. And there were some expansion packs that had no models but had cards. Mm -hmm. So there was it wasn't like someone stepping into 40K now or X-Wing and having huge amounts of choice. Uh, you you were kind of constrained if you were playing uh, what was out there. And we said, you know what? We want people to have fun. We want them to enjoy being at the tournament. And if they want to bring a force of eight Dutch buffaloes, mm -hmm. <laughs> they can fly that. If they want to fly something super obscure, let them. And if that the stats for that are so broken that it wins multiple tournaments back to back, then we'll take a look at it. And we haven't seen that. Um, and partially that's because of the due diligence that... Andy, mm -hmm. uh, Ken Nat, Roger Garish, all those guys have been doing to build the stats to make them, you know, not be broken and to make them uh, be fun. But what we found is, I mean, there's some things that were that were published or were near to be published that we've had to go back and change. Um, you know, the P-38 Lightning has changed in its statistics from when it was first published. There was much arguing and wailing and gnashing of teeth about the Hellcat. And mm -hmm. uh, I will say, thankfully, I think Andy either to appease me and so he never had to get another angry email from me. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, for some reason, Andy thankfully gave in and changed the traits of the aircraft because it just, it didn't play. Yeah. It didn't feel like the Hellcat, the aircraft that dominated the Pacific. Um, and so there were some discussions there. And, and that's been the great thing working with Andy. Andy is so super relaxed to work with. There are mm -hmm. things that he knows he wants done, like any game designer. There mm -hmm. are red lines you don't cross and you don't break things in the game when you offer him ideas. Um, but he also is really open to people taking a different perspective and saying, hey, can we try this? Can we do this? Um, and, and I'm super thankful that he tolerates the crazy ideas that me or the rest of the Lead Pursuit podcast throws his way um, and doesn't say, go away, kid, don't bother me. Um, he's super tolerant of them, but he's also quick to say, hey, have you tried X, Y, or Z? Or can we change the way you're implementing this rule? Um, and and so he's he's given us a lot of guidance in some of the third-party scenarios that we've released. Um, and, and likewise, we've worked with him to try to see if there's other rules to adapt for either Vietnam era or other uh, eras of combat. Now, I want to touch on a lot of what you just said, but let's let's quickly dig into the Lead Pursuit podcast website because you guys have a lot of Blood Red Skies resources that can't be found anywhere else, and you have accessories as well. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because you guys really have been adding a lot to what players have available when they're playing this game. Oh, geez, that's the slippery slope. So here's the funny thing. when When we said... Uh, let's expand the community and let's support the community. One of the first things that we suddenly realized is their Facebook is terrible for managing data. So there was mm -hmm. no place to go to, to find all the cards for aircraft that haven't been released. So uh, Martin Wilson, one of the other Blood Red Skies players in the UK, has done a great job of building card art and building all these cards for all the other airplanes that are not out there yet. Um, so as Warlord releases cards, thankfully we don't have to support those anymore. Um, but as we go through and change statistics or, or, or play test things or come back to Andy and go, oh my gosh, this totally obscure plane flown by Poland, we turns out it's broken the way we've written it. Um, you know, we get that data back. We host all that with the cards, with the master lists. Uh, we do custom aces. So it's, it's one of those funny things where we had to kind of, um, I'll say we held our, our, ground with Andy and I said, you know, we're not writing aces to be drawn into the Blood Red Skies canon. Uh, we're featuring people that we think are cool historical individuals uh, that had a place in, in the combat. So don't think we're going to ask you how, if these ace cards are approved, because we don't want them to be. We don't, we don't want these to be Andy Chambers' ace cards. These are lead pursuit, you know, chasing down uh, some history about Malta or any of these other battles that we featured aces for. And there's even some humorous aces out there. There, there might be a Bill Kelso ace uh, card, nice. <laughs> thoroughly not approved. Uh, but uh, they're, they're, those were things that we chose to do to try to give the community a, a, a location for resources. 
And then the funny thing was, as we started playing Airstrike um, and ran short of different tokens and things, uh, the good idea fairy, known as Brett Cantor, one of the other founding members of the podcast, mm -hmm. looked to me and said, wouldn't it be great if we had acrylic tokens? And I kind of sighed and said, yes, it would, because I'm an acrylic addict. For anyone mm -hmm. who's ever listened to the Lead Pursuit podcast, they know that I will go buy tokens for any game at the drop of the hat. Uh, so, Ditto. <laughs> so we, yeah. So we worked with Litco, one of the great companies here in the U.S., to produce some, and we also worked with some uh, companies around the world. We worked with Just Laser in the U.K. so that people didn't have to buy and ship things; they could they could buy them natively there um, to get you know new tokens for some of the new rules that were in the game, uh, to get dials out there so if people wanted to track the individual hits on ships or the hits on ground targets or how many points of of flak there were that were shooting at them. They could do that because I, I know that gamers like me want to not track that on a piece of paper or with a stack of chits. They want to mm -hmm. dial it in. Um, so we did some things like that to try to give people some good ideas. But what I'll say is, you know, we are not the only source or only good idea out there. There are some amazing artists on Etsy mm -hmm. that have done tokens for Blood Red Skies and have done measuring templates that are beautiful. Um, there are some that are on eBay. There, there's a lot of places to go find them. Uh, and that's the great thing about the community, at least as it is now. Nobody seems to be getting super bent about what are the approved movement templates. I know the community probably will go there some point in its, mm -hmm. in its uh, competitive world, but absolutely nobody has freaked out about that. Um, everyone has said show up with the moving temp movement templates you have. If something seems squirrely, we'll call the TO over. Uh, but at least people want they they want physical tokens and things for the game, and they've enjoyed having those. Um, and, you know, we've also tried to, in this era of, I'll say, disrupted shipping, mm -hmm. um, we did something I, I didn't believe I was ever going to do. I did not intend to open a full Blood Red Skies internet retail store. I'm scrolling through it <laughs> as we, we speak. Yep. Well, and we did. You know, we worked closely with Warlord US and said, hey, we don't want to, we're not a Warlord store. We don't need to carry everything. Um, please don't ask me to buy boxes of SPQR miniatures. Mm -hmm. uh, but we said we wanted to be able for, if somebody came up and said, I need this aircraft, my local game store doesn't have it. They're not going to order from Warlord for another four months or whatever yeah. until the rest of their, their cycle works through of what, what people want to buy. We wanted people to be able to, to jump on the internet, order that box, have it shipped reasonably um, and, and do that. But at the same time, we also knew there were lines that were transitioning that we weren't going to pick up. If you if you say, I'm really looking for F4U Corsairs, you're going to look at our website and go, there's no Warlord boxes of F4U Corsairs. Right. I know there's some metal ones somewhere out here. We're letting that all transition. So if, if people don't know, all the metal is slowly transitioning to resin. And the new Warlord resin on the airplanes is a huge step up from where everything has been. And it really yeah. looks good. But we literally told everyone, we're like, we're not going to stock the older kits. You can probably find them on eBay. Probably probably find them out there somewhere if you really need them right now. Mm -hmm. But we're going to wait for the transition because especially what we just saw in the, the Midway set that has just released, uh, the new Warlord resin really looks good. It holds the detail well, um, and it's a lot more rugged than other companies' resin offerings have been. So I'm, I'm pretty impressed with it. Uh, excited to get a whole bunch of stuff here soon in Warlord resin. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. and, uh, and start painting and playing some of that. Well, you've mentioned the Battle of Midway set. Now, if people are looking to get into Blood Red Skies, since, it's a, since it is a great time to look at this game, I know that that kit has been... there. It's taken global shipping problems, boys and girls. It, it's a thing. I hate to tell you this, as we've said in the podcast in the past. But if someone is looking to pick up the game and they're able to get the new Midway set as it hits stores, which will be very shortly, if not already, because um, it is just about that sweet spot where it is starting to come out in the world. Can we talk? To, is that a good way to start? What's the best way to jump into that game? If you get the Battle of Midway, do you still need the Airstrike expansion, which gives you those additional rules that you were talking about earlier? Well, the question is need. So what I'll say is that I think the Midway starter set is really the way to get in. And I, I think it's the best way to, for a reasonable price, to dip your feet into the game and see how much complexity you want to get in. You you might buy the Midway starter set 
and you and your friends might just play a couple fighter games and play, you know, once a month, once every other month. And that's the only level you need to go to. Uh, you might fall down the slippery slope like Brett and Chris and I did with Blood Red Skies. Mm -hmm. And then you will definitely need airstrike because you'll be one of those people who says, but I want to fly B-25s on a strike on Rabul and have them aggressed by, you know, zeros and have flak shooting back at them <laughs> mm -hmm. and all these terrible things that lead you to buy a lot of miniatures. But you would need the airstrike book for that. So I tell people that once you play the game and you realize you like the game, then you absolutely want to go out and pick up the airstrike book. Now, all of that being said, um, it is still a viable way to get into the game to buy the airstrike book that's out there now that has a movement template on the back of it, some clouds, some tokens, to buy that and to pick and choose your airplanes. Uh, what you do when you, when you kind of do that is you miss out on some of the cool stuff that's in the starter kit. Um, and as we found out today, uh, when uh, some of our buddies in the U.S. finally got their first boxes, there are all kinds of target tokens, mm -hmm. um, it, you know, clouds, islands, all kinds of cardboard goodness <laughs> that are ships. in that midway set. Mm -hmm. Yeah, ships that well, there's and there's bombers for both the U.S. single engine bombers mm -hmm. for the U.S. and for the Japanese. So. Getting that starter kit really lets you play through a lot of different things. But understand that the rules in the starter kit are, in a sense, a starter kit set of rules. They, yeah. as we say, they baby bird things for you. They don't give you all the different types of, of ground targets and sea targets out there. They say, here's a carrier. Here's how many hits it takes to kill it. Here's how it's going to shoot back at you with flak. Um, they, it simplifies it so you'll understand it. But if you say, you know what? I want to go attack a Japanese cruiser that is, you know, protected by a flak belt while it's in port. Then you need to go buy airstrike. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that will that will give you those kind of scenarios. Um, and and you alluded to it earlier. Andy has done a great job with the scenarios. He gets a little frustrated with me whenever I write custom scenarios because he always looks and says, "Well, don't the generic ones cover it?" And I say, "Yes, Andy, they cover it, and they're very well balanced." Uh, I want to create a thoroughly unbalanced scenario that is asymmetrical and you have to fight uphill be because that's my gaming background. You know, I, I laugh if you've, if you've looked at the scenarios out on the lead pursuit website, they probably remind you of a very old game from the 1970s that I'm staring lovingly at my four <laughs> different modules of, they should remind you of squad leader. And there were some of those scenarios that were horribly asymmetrical. And yeah. that I remember losing a lot of times and wondering do I suck at this game or am I playing the wrong side? Uh, and it may have been a little bit of, of both. I was going to say, column A, column B, <laughs> both, exactly. who knows? <laughs> Could have been both. But literally, that's the the flair that we brought to some of the lead pursuit scenarios, that there are yeah. situations that you don't play because you want to figure out who is the better, you know, air commander between you, air commodore. You want to play it because you say, I want to see what it was like to be the Chinese being shot at by Taiwanese, uh, you know, F-86s that suddenly had missiles. Yeah. And you go, that's a really asymmetric scenario. Yes, it is. And we tried not to break anything in the MIG alley rules that Andy did so, so well to write. Uh, but we introduced all kinds of off the wall stuff, air to air missiles and high altitude flying and things like that. So, uh, the scenarios are awesome. You get a bunch of them in, in airstrike and they really, you can do 90% of what you would ever want to do in the game between a starter kit and airstrike. Uh, it, it would give you every set of rules and every set of, um, of scenarios to do that. Now, you've mentioned MIG Alley, and I, I have to admit, the, the jet age is, I think, a little bit more my speed, only because I spent many, many, many a weekend on Yokota Air Base in Japan watching, and Yokos or uh, Atsugi Yokota. watching the... Uh, yep. The jets come in and out, um, and you know, having my teeth rattle as the uh, you know the Tomcats took on and off and on the ground. Um, so, and seeing you know a Phantom uh, in real life when I was a kid just blew my mind. MIG Alley, of course, is not that. It is Korean War, and those jets that I'm mentioning came later. Now, you have mentioned that there are jet age sort of either not expansions per se, but um, additions to the rules that maybe you guys have been a part of as well. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about, because clearly we have the World War II official warlord boxes and rules. 
We have MIG Alley, which takes us into the Korean War. Again, we have Jets, but it is, again, an official Warlord release. And then we go a bit beyond that at times, don't we? <laughs> we do. So there have been a lot of fan expansions, and uh, there have been some in the U.S. that have, have gone all the way into the modern era and d obviously had to tweak some different parts of the base rule system. Uh, what I will say is there's two ways of looking at any one of these expansions. There are those that keep Blood Red Skies what it is and then just try to add on inside that world uh, mm -hmm. a very structured World War II to Korea kind of uh, aerial combat. Um, and then you know th there's the Jet Age expansion, which realizes it has to break things, but it's trying to do something different than than uh, Blood Red Skies is. And the author of that, she has done a great job building a game, but it's functionally building a little bit of a new game using the mechanics from Blood Red Skies. So you can right. go on onto the Facebook group for the um, for the uh, Blood Red Skies Ready Room. You can find those files. Jet Age is a fun game to play. It's just very different. And so what we did, and, and it kind of was an outgrowth of the work that uh, Roger Garrish and I had done trying to build something for a Blood Red Skies Vietnam series of rules uh, was we talked to Andy and said, okay, Andy, we, we beat our head against the wall for about a year um, with Blood Red Skies Vietnam. It doesn't seem to be going where you want to go or where you want to go. Can we step back? Can we take some of the things we've learned and can we put them back into some fan designed scenarios? And Andy thankfully said, absolutely, knock yourself out. Uh, feel free to fall on your own sword. So, <laughs> Very so Andy. what we did yeah. in, the, in the exactly in the Lead Pursuit podcast is we we took some of those lessons learned, and we incrementally went forward from Korea. So we went to Taiwan Straits. We we released a series of scenarios called Beyond Mig Alley uh, that were using the rules in Mig Alley, but adding a few tweaks, adding very basic air-to-air -air missiles, or or right. adding some of the supersonic aircraft and afterburning aircraft, and how do you handle that? Uh, and so we we tried to keep Blood Red Skies about what it does at its core. It is a great dogfighting game. It is right. a lot of fun because, as we've said, it captures the feel and it doesn't simulate the physics. Um, so as we went through these expansions, we rapidly jumped through a couple areas. We end up doing some India-Pakistan 1965. Uh, oh, sorry, uh, uh I'm getting my dates wrong, 1965, uh, India-Pakistan stuff. And we we add some airplanes that are kind of fast. And how do you do supersonic airplanes in Blood Red Skies? Well, we had to step back and go, Blood Red Skies isn't about supersonic airplanes. So guess what? They're all going to kind of hit this wall of a certain speed, and we don't need to simulate them going faster. Um, that just isn't what the game is about, because you don't dogfight at those speeds. Right. <laughs> so, so, you know, Andy, like I said, he gave us, plenty of opportunity to run with that. Um, we've put the scenarios out there on the Lead Pursuit website. Uh, so you can go out there and you can play them. And for people who are detail-oriented, they look at the scenarios, they're going to realize something funny. Uh, some of the same things, some of the air-to-air -air missiles play differently in different scenario packs. And rules for whether I need to count missiles play differently in different scenario packs. Because mm -hmm. the intent is to let the community tell us what works. Not not to have what Doug or Roger or Andy thinks in that scenario pack, but to try some things and let the community go, that was a terrible idea. And we'll go, good, <laughs> then we won't do that if we ever add, you know, Blood Red Skies Vietnam. We will be sure not to do it that way that failed. Uh, right. So it, it, it is a little bit of an attempt to figure out uh, what people think is fun, what people think still keeps the spirit of the game, uh, yet what takes it incrementally uh, forward to, to further errors. Now, it sounds like the Lead Pursuit podcast, and yes, I, I do know that you are actually uh, you know, big drivers in the community, or at least big voices in the community. Um, you work directly with some of the people who make the games. Um, you're constantly talking about the games. You guys are 70 episodes in. You know, so many times when we talk about, you know, podcasts for sort of niche games, you know, you might get 10, 20, maybe episodes, and they're irregular at best. You guys are fairly clockwork, if not more, um, and you you keep churning out great content. How how do you keep going? I guess um, when sometimes you are interacting with a game that maybe isn't 
churning out content as quickly as you are, if that makes sense. I know that that is often problematic for uh, voices in smaller communities. Um, how do you keep going? I guess it is because you are talking to some of the creators of the game and you guys are creating some of your own content in the form of those scenarios. Absolutely. And and part of it is we're not afraid to take a break. We we know that we are primarily a Blood Red Skies podcast, but we style ourselves as a aerial wargaming podcast. So there are times that that we as a podcast team kind of hit a, our head against the wall and say, yeah, there's a lot of things we'd like to cover and like to do and like to talk about with mm -hmm. Blood Red Skies, but either the people aren't there, the support isn't there, whatever isn't there to do that episode this time, let's go pick up something different. And so it's like when we talked about uh, 8th Air Force and 20th Air Force, uh, solo World War II strategic level bombing war games mm -hmm. uh, from Fortress Games, we, we did it to take a break. Uh, and sometimes taking a break leads into good things. I mean, we talked a little bit about Hornet Leader and some of the DVG Air Leader games from Danvers and Games, and now all of a sudden I find myself with Ben Chi uh, helping to co-design Fulcrum Leader. <laughs> and I, and I gotta go, how did I go here from being the guy that was mm -hmm. <laughs> that was on the podcast talking about these cool things to all of a sudden I'm making counters and cards and things for, uh, for a war game about uh, Cold War era Soviet uh, air power. Uh, but those are the cool things. That's it's once again, to me, it's about the community relationships being being in that kind of a podcast that doesn't feel like we're competing directly with 30, 40 other podcasts talking about the same game. Right. Allows us to go and cover what we want and to mm -hmm. to spend time talking to the industry people that we want. Uh, and to be honest, when it comes back to Blood Red Skies, if we say, guess what, guys, there's been no releases we spend time talking about our games or our, obviously our hobby progress. And then that circles back into the community because a lot of what we're talking about isn't necessarily ours as in LPPs. It's, Hey, I saw Casey had painted up a bunch of SPDs. Wait, aren't SPDs not out from warlord yet? Mm -hmm. You're absolutely right. So those are ones from this third party provider, um, which, which I think helps the community because it allows people to understand that there's a lot of stuff going on. And just because a publisher finds themselves in the standard straits any business does, especially in the pandemic where things are hard to get, things are hard to ship, things are hard to produce. Oh, by the way, when you have them all lined up, then your production machinery takes a crap. You know, it's mm -hmm. it's one of those kind of things that, that you just have to learn to deal with it. And I think what we, and I say we in the, in the lead pursuit, uh, the royal we for that, we on the podcast have tried to cultivate a community that is both demanding, but also forgiving in the sense that we say we want Warlord and Andy to continue to develop the game, but we're also going to be a little bit merciful and go, okay, we, we know we're a little delayed. We're not going to lose our minds. We're not going to immediately go tear up our pre-order mm -hmm. <laughs> paperwork, but we're going to say, hey, Warlord, what's the deal? And I will say that Warlord has had to evolve their public relations in the pandemic. I think they have, they're much better than where they were. Um, and they have a team of people that are able to answer questions to a certain point. And then, like any other company, they go, we don't know. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll know when the material shows up in our warehouse. <laughs> then we'll know it's ready to be put into the box. Um, so I, I think there's a lot of that. And we've, we've tried to be good stewards as part of the community. And, and part of that is knowing when to push Warlord, knowing when to back off. I, I will say that I'm sure we burned some bridges today. Uh, on Instagram, but we feel like if you can't laugh at yourselves, then nobody can. Um, but with our semi-weekly, I won't say weekly because I'm not funny enough to write a joke every week, uh, our, our weekly uh, Grognard Gazette installment uh, is always an image that pokes fun at somebody or something or whatever in the community. Uh, sometimes it's us. The last couple of times it's been Warlord employees. Uh, but we, we try to do things like that to keep it all lighthearted and to say, Warlord is not a faceless group of people that we want to hate. It's a bunch of people we want to interact with. Exactly. But by golly, you better have a twisted sense of humor like us. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, right? So, exactly. Well, let's... One of the... Yes, shipping has been an issue, and logistics has been a nightmare in, in this age. Hopefully, given that people are starting to fly again, uh, that that we'll start to see some of the, the shipping woes of 2020 and 2021 start to ease um that said for those listening at home kids buy your christmas presents early it's going to be grim this year 
moving aside, though, the other thing that's really taken a hit is community. Now I want to kind of circle back to community and a lot of the events. And now we've seen that in Melbourne with the the bolt action community. Melbourne is like I think we recently broke the world record on the most lockdown city in the world. And you've heard me talk about it on a lot of podcasts, so I'm not going to harp on about it. But we haven't had the opportunity to get the community together. I mean, we had one glorious, hey, we're back event in 2020 at Easter and went, yes, the, you know, the, the bolt action community's back. We had a lot of people come out to play games. A lot of people could make it and said they'll make the next one. And as we were planning the next one, we locked down again and we're just coming out now in November. So, yeah. You guys have an event that you run, the Gathering of Eagles. You mentioned it before. How have you kept the Blood Red Skies community going in the pandemic world of uncertainty and can we get together? Can't we get together? How does this actually work? Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Because as someone who's kind of looking at a game like Bolt Action in, in a similar situation at the moment, I'd love to hear how you're doing it. Oh, yeah. Well, I think there were a couple different streams that we ran concurrently. Uh, the first one we haven't talked at all about is that in the height of the pandemic, uh, we went out, I say we, let me let me back up, I uh, went out <laughs> with the help of some modelers and mm -hmm. without asking, uh, put on Tabletop Simulator a Blood Red Skies starter kit. Oh. Uh, and so we went out with Roz, actually the same person that did the Jet Age edition, and she uh, did some modeling work for us. And then we had Steve Toth, who does a lot of uh, third-party model stuff. He helped also build some of the models to go into the game. And we just put out the basics of Blood Red Skies. And thankfully, as soon as I kind of ran it past Andy and he ran it past Paul and powers that be said, okay, that's good. Um, they did unfortunately say, and go no farther. <laughs> mm -hmm. So my 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 desire to suddenly have a bunch of things out there for the community to use obviously did not pass the uh, the corporate IP uh, muster, but that's fine. Uh, so we we put out what we could, and we put out some things that we knew didn't belong to Warlord. So it was pretty easy when you've got third party models uh, inside the tabletop sim game and mm -hmm. cards that you've created that are beta cards. That's all easy. So we even hosted a uh, virtual gathering of eagles. So we would get on to Discord. We would stream a four-person, six-person uh, Blood Red Skies game. Brilliant. And there would be plenty of people just, just watching and, and snide comments from the peanut gallery, you know, mm -hmm. things like that. Uh, so that that helped a little bit with just keeping the community engaged. And, and we had gone out and obviously had this great idea uh, that we would build this uh, Malta scenario and do all these things for Adepticon 2020. Oops, oh yeah, the Adepticon didn't happen. Mm -hmm. uh, so we took all that and we put that digital content into Tabletop Sim. So so we felt like, hey, the community's still doing something. We're still playing new scenarios, playing some new aircraft uh, and moving forward. And then fortunately, parts of the US started to open up. Mm -hmm. um, but we didn't want to run with scissors. We didn't want to do to push people uh, past their comfort level or past what the the rules and regulations of the, of the local areas were. Right. So we held a small gathering of eagles in Indianapolis, and we told some people we said, "Hey, if you're not comfortable coming, don't come. If you don't want to comply with state and and county and city mandates, don't come. Right. Uh, we're all going to get together. We're going to play by the rules, uh, both for the game and for the for health reasons. Mm -hmm. um, but we also knew that we were going to do something larger than just play the game. So we created that event to get together spend a weekend playing Blood Red Skies, but you know what, we also spend a lot of time sitting around talking, uh, you know, late nights by the fire pit, uh, having uh, both historical and ahistorical discussions, uh, but a chance to, to get to know who the people were that played the game. And then fortunately, as uh, things changed in the US and, and at least down in Louisiana, things opened up, we were able to go do a second Gathering of Eagles uh, that was done uh, in June, in the first weekend in June, and have a really great venue. We were at the Higgins Hotel, which I don't know if you've ever seen it, heard about it, and or visited it, but it's a World War II themed hotel right next to the World War II Museum. Uh, mm -hmm. You could not ask for a better place to conduct a weekend of World War II gaming. <laughs> I'm more than a little jealous as someone who lived in New Orleans for almost 10 years. I, oh, that, yeah, that it, sounds it like the was... perfect venue for actually sitting down and playing some games and then going out for a quiet beverage 
and I use quiet in giant air quotes um, with friends. Oh, brilliant. It was great. And, and I laughed because we actually had some players that did it in the opposite order. They went down to the quarter mm-hmm. first and got their beverages, then came back and played. So that was fun. But uh, it was a great location. The hotel took awesome care of us. Uh, you, you really can't ask for a nicer place to, mm-hmm. to do a big tournament like that. And so we had we had a larger turnout. Our are we a large convention with hundreds of people? No, we're not. Um, you know, that was a good setup with probably about 25, 30 people mm-hmm. there playing Blood Red Skies, uh, playing some narrative scenarios, which was different than the first time. Some people came and had pre-done scenarios, pre-painted models, so you could just pick up and play, you know, Dutch buffaloes and B-10s, and you could play, you know, whatever whatever scenarios uh, you wanted uh, and we did a lot of that, and we we played a variety of scales as well. So we started playing 172nd scale, Big Red Skies, as oh, it has wow. been nicknamed. And, and that's fun. Uh, we played that with both uh, World War II and Korea-era models. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so we, we generally, once again, had a great weekend, and it was kind of funny how many people stuck around uh, to actually leave town on that Monday. So Sunday was a great decompress, go out. Um, get some good breakfast as you can only get there in oh, New yeah. Orleans with all kinds of food that is terrible for you, but oh so mm-hmm. tasty. Uh, <laughs> and and then kind of you know finish up a, an easy Sunday of gaming. So it was there were some great events and and it kind of reminded us that as the world opens back up, the intent, at least for us, is not to replace other gaming events, but to augment them. And right. so you'll see on the website, there's been other tournaments that were assisting people with hosting. There's other, we, we don't say you can't call your event a Gathering of Eagles. That's fine. There's people that, you know, brand theirs as Gathering of Eagles, like up in Oshkosh here in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and and those are just a, a chance for Blood Red Skies players to get together. And, and we try to, at least on our end, um, help people with prize support, with tournament support, um, you know, with figuring out how to do an event. Because uh, obviously Casey, you know, one of our, our good mutual friends has been oh, yeah. uh, signed up to to teach and to show Blood Red Skies at Millennium Con. Uh, and, you know, how do you do that? Because I think he right now is set to beat my record. I think he is set to have 20 players in a Blood Red Skies event. Uh, I thought I was doing good with 13. <laughs> so, and if anyone can yes, do it, Casey full. can. I mean, he is the Absolutely. man who I Absolutely. literally quote at the end of every episode of Cast Eyes for those paying attention at home. Yes, and you'll hear me quote him again at the end of this episode. Uh, and his stuff, oh my God, his painting of uh, Blood Red Sky's miniatures is outrageously good. He's always posting pictures in our group chat, and damn, they look good. And it's not even just the painting. It is the entire setting. So if you haven't gone out and looked at Casey's Gaming Garage on Instagram, right? go look at it, because he has models. He has little flak bursts. Mm-hmm. He will you know, Photoshop in some tracers coming out of the aircraft. He, he takes it to a whole nother level. And I just laugh, and I'm like, looking at my paint station that has unpainted wildcats on it. I'm like, yeah, yeah I'm not even the painted part, much less the staging it in an image that makes it look good. So uh, he does amazing work. We're really, really fortunate to have partnered with him. Uh, he has helped out the Blood Red Skies community immensely in the U.S. Uh, and helping us out uh, with a lot of stuff that we're doing. So it's it's been a good find to pair up with him. I'm glad that you mentioned that. Let me repeat that for those of you who have not been on Instagram to see this. Casey's Gaming Garage. Definitely check it out. Uh, Casey, of course, is one of the Ghost Army guys. Uh, for those of you who play Bolt Action, my God, does the man do amazing work. But oh, can't wait to see what he does with this this big game. 20 players. Jeez. Uh, I'm is... glad he's doing it, not me. I, I about <laughs> lost my mind with 13. So as soon as he got 20 signups, I'm like, congratulations. Good luck. Don't call me. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Well, Doug, when we start talking about Casey's Instagram page and how great it looks, I hate to say it. I think we may have hit the end of... This episode, we have been going about an hour. It is about that time to wrap up. And I've got to say, guys, if you have not checked out leadpursuit.net, there are some awesome resources on there. Um, The store, God, there's so many good things on here, including, and look, I'm not saying that I need this A10 nose art mask, um, but face mask goes Bert. Um, I need one. I, I need one bad. Uh, there's, there's we tons of, to ship you one. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Oh, don't, my wife won't go out in public with me. Uh, she may not anyway. Um, yes. Leadpursuit.net. Tons of great resources. The shop is great as well. And of course on Insta, you are just lead pursuit, right? 
Absolutely. Yeah. We put uh, a lot of our funnier things up on Instagram, but we also try to let people know when the podcast drops and what some of the great photos and battle reports from around the community are and really drop that kind of info in Instagram where everyone can, can uh, consume it pretty quickly. There are some very, very pretty pictures on that page, I have to say. Uh, I, as someone who is, you know, maybe not the biggest airplane guy at times, looking at that is, oh, it's dangerous. It's like, oh, oh, that looks so good. Oh. Yeah, yeah. It's airplane porn. We're pretty much true. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Well, we've mentioned Casey's name a ton today, but before I get to him, I have to say, Douglas, thank you so much for coming on today, man. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us about, you know, a smaller, more niche gaming community, but one that is absolutely passionate about the game that they're playing and is so cool. It's a great game, right? Absolutely. And thanks for having me on and giving me a chance to uh, at least tell what we've done for the community. And if you have not, the other thing is, I know I've mentioned the Lead Pursuit Insta page and I've mentioned their website, but go to your local podcatcher, whatever it is that you're listening to this podcast on, find the Lead Pursuit podcast. There are some great episodes up there. As I said, 70 plus episodes. These guys are prolific. They're big into their community. Uh, is there any episodes that you would recommend for folks who are jumping in uh, right off the bat, or should they just start somewhere in the middle with something that looks interesting? I would say grab a topic that interests you. We do a variety of things from aircraft spotlights, where we talk about historical aircraft and how they play in the game. Uh, we have some that are mostly banter. Uh, and I'll say, let me warn you now, don't play us in the car with the kids. We have an E rating because, well, <laughs> <laughs> we have a number of uh, former military individuals on. So we mm -hmm. don't always talk with the uh, the most uh, clean mouths. So we, But we like to have fun. So there's, there's a lot of different topics out there. Uh, nice. Yeah. I think you can't go wrong by just jumping right into it to a topic that interests you. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, again, thank you, man. And guys, you at home, thank you for listening. Uh, as I did mention at the beginning of this episode, the Warlord Games official podcast will be back. You've heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen, uh, and it will be back soon. I have gotten inundated with requests for more bolt action content recently. Fear not. It is in the pipe. We have lots of great stuff coming. And uh, going into the Christmas crazy season, I'm sure there'll be a lot of other great topics covered as well. Thank you very much for taking the time to listen today. And as our buddy Casey always says, when you're playing the games that we know and love, I hope that your beverages are cold. I hope that your dice roll hot. But more than that, we at Cast Dice hope that you are having fun. Stay safe out there, guys. Good night.